so hey guys, welcome to another episode of Staying Sane with Auntie Jane. Um, we're going to shake things up a little bit here uh, today. A few of you have requested to learn a little bit more about myself. Um, so what we're going to do is, uh, one of my best friends, Michelle, who was in the last podcast, she's going to uh, interview me and ask me a few questions and I'm going to answer them and you guys can learn a bit more about me. So yeah, go ahead, Michelle. Thanks for doing this. Hey guys. Yeah. Thanks for, um, letting me take over the show for this episode. Um, this is <laughs> okay. my, uh, my first podcast hosting debut. So I am pretty stoked about this. <laughs> Are you guys start your own podcast now? After yeah. This? Um, I think this is like the start of my new career option. So, um, so yeah, a little bit about our, uh, lovely host. So Andy is from North Island of New Zealand from a town called New Plymouth. Um, he's an avid outdoors enthusiast, world traveler, craft beer drinking, sport loving, house music fan, and one of my absolute favorite friends that I've had the privilege of meeting. Um, actually, well, I was traveling as well. So um, it's been an absolute joy to have him in my, as a friend. And we've actually met up on three different continents. So it's pretty cool to say that I have a friend that is just as sort of nomadic as I am. Um, so I guess we'll kick things off. The first question I think we are all dying to know. Mr. Andy Jane, how are you staying sane? Uh, yeah, that is actually a very good question. Um, there's a lot of PlayStation 4, um, Call of Duty, the, the new Call of Duty that's come out, Modern Warfare, um, a lot of that. Uh, there is a lot of uh, making the podcast, planning the podcast, uh, contacting people and trying to set up times. I tell you what. There have been two guests so far already that have been a pain in the butt to get hold of. I'm not naming names, but, um, um, what else? I made some mountain bike jumps out the front of my place, um, that the little kids in the, na like the neighborhood are using at the moment, uh, which was, uh, took some time. Uh, and I'm, doing a little baking with my mum. Um, we did a banana cake the other day. Um, and other than that, I'm predominantly staying sane. There's been a couple of occasions where I've gone down the rabbit hole and got a bit, uh, what would you call, a bit depressed and a bit down. But, yeah, we've come out of that. So, yeah, feeling yep. really good. Haven't we all? <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah. true. I think, I think not a single person has probably uh, had a day where they uh, haven't been like, oh, man. We've got two more weeks in New Zealand at least, possibly uh, possibly maybe extended, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, so that's uh, one of my another one of my questions for you. Um, what is sort of the situation in New Zealand? Um, obviously, I feel like most countries' news has been kind of centered on what's going on there, so um, would you like to kind of share what's the situation like in New Zealand? Uh, so yesterday we... Finally ticked over a thousand cases. Um, today I just checked, um, and we've got one thousand one hundred six cases. Um, we got on to the whole shutting down the country really, really early before we even had a hundred cases. Um, and predominantly, they reckon about ninety five percent of the cases are from New Zealanders coming back from overseas. Um, and that only 5% is community transmission. So we're hoping sort of by the end of this week, uh, we start to see that curve flatten and maybe within sort of another two, three, four weeks, uh, we may be um, 
yeah, be able to open businesses up again and go back to uh, normal uh, in quotation marks there life. Um, uh, yeah, that's what the prime minister's hoping. She's done such a beautiful job, amazing human being. Um, and I think that's what all New Zealanders are hoping. And it looks like it probably is going to happen so long as New Zealanders stay at home. That's awesome. That's definitely the optimistic news that I think everyone is hoping to hear. So let's just hope that this kind of gets done quicker and yeah. can go back to somewhat of a bit of normalcy. Huh? I, I think <laughs> something we definitely had going for us was we went early on locking down the country. Like we had less than 100 cases when they were like, right, no one's leaving. Um, like I know in the United States that some places still were laid to like surf and hike and, um, and even like fast food shops and all that are open in New Zealand. None of that. We're not allowed to go. We have to stay in our neighborhood. Um, there's no fast food places open. You can't go surfing. So they've yeah gone hard, uh, with this yeah, whole lockdown. Hopefully that, um, really tight kind of laws will benefit you guys in the long run because yeah, unfortunately there's no, you know, script for how to handle these sort of situations. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of, uh, things that we learned from this experience, you know? Yeah, especially since it's a, it's a virus that no one knows about. It's a brand new virus that's first, that like, just come onto the scene. So uh, we're learning something every day about it. So uh, hopefully, uh, like, given what's happened, it's an absolute, like, it's a disaster and it's, I can't believe, I've never expected something like this to happen. But uh, I also hope that in the long run, this... Um, uh, allows um, governments to realize that their healthcare systems are not up to scratch for a big pandemic. And um, uh, if the coronavirus or COVID-19 comes back around next year or whenever, um, that we will have uh, a lot more in place to be able to sort of uh, combat it and hopefully have a, like a, a treatment and a vaccine by then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now I know so... This pandemic has definitely impacted um, your plans. You had some travel plans coming up here soon that um, probably are going to be pretty <laughs> impacted by this. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so on the 29th of this month, I was actually going to um, fly via Hawaii. Um, I was going to spend a couple of days in Hawaii uh, into Portland, Oregon, because uh, Oregon is one of my favorite places uh, on the planet. Um, and I was going to do the summer in Oregon at the Bunk and Brew again, uh, like I did last year. Uh, this time I had a six-month visa uh, instead of just the, the normal sort of uh, Esther that you can get, which is three months. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, at the moment, I'm not totally sure when I'm going to be able to get over. I'm still super optimistic that maybe come mid-June, um, mid June to late June, I might be able to get over. Um, but again, like who knows? Um, and then if worst comes to worst, I may have to just cut the Oregon plans and go to Canada on my working holiday. Cause I was planning on going up from Oregon to Vancouver, BC, uh, to start my 23 month, uh, working holiday in, uh, Canada. Uh, so I may like, if worst comes to worst and I'm not out of New Zealand by July, I may just have to forget the whole Oregon thing and just go straight to Canada. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, yeah, so some uh, massive changes. Also, um, you had plans to go to 
um, an EDM festival. EDC Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pascal Rotella, the the head of Insomniac, which run um, uh, EDC on Friday, announced that the festival had been postponed till October, the first week of October, which kind of works out pretty cool. Um, my birthday month is October. Um, so that's actually going to be really cool. So something to sort of celebrate an early birthday celebration. Um, so here's hoping that goes ahead. I've already had two gigs in Oregon that I was meant to go to be canceled. Um, I have like another festival in Washington at the gorge, um, in August, end of August, uh, base Canyon. It's like a dubstep festival. Um, that is going ahead at the moment, but yeah, I've had so many, uh, plans at the moment just get canceled, but Hey, these things happen and we just have to, uh, look forward to the stuff that is going to happen. Um, obviously in the bigger picture, um, we're saving lives, uh, doing this, uh, and we're hoping, um, that we can flatten that curve sooner rather than later. So I'm more than like, I understand that like this was inevitable and I'm okay with that. It is sad at the end of the day, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is, you know, one of the biggest concerns for everyone is that, you know, they want to try to keep people who are more vulnerable or elderly safe at this moment. So taking those kind of sacrifices in your own personal life in order yeah. to try to stop the spread is super important. Um, I totally get that you- as well. Um, my mom, my mom uh, has a compromised immune system and my Nana's uh, 87 years old. So, uh, yeah, totally understand with uh, looking after the loved ones and the ones that aren't going to be able to fight um, as, as much as the sort of the younger people. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's scary. Absolutely. Have you, um, has, have you kind of taken any extra precautions with, you know, your mom and your nan with, um, keeping them kind of safe or. Um, so last week I was, cause I work, uh, for a ski snowboard, like outdoor adventure shop um here in New Zealand and it's owned by the warehouse group which is like a big the warehouse is like New Zealand's version of Walmart kind of thing um and basically the warehouse last week has been allowed to open up and sell essential goods um and they asked the Torpedo 7 staff if they'd like to go and um work at the warehouse but given that the warehouse is customer facing, um, I said no, uh, just because I don't want to risk um, catching it and then giving it to mum or my nana. So I'm going to be stuck at home. Um, still getting paid, thank God. <laughs> thank God for the New Zealand government and uh, paying, uh, paying the wages. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't worth the risk. I, I weighed up the pros and cons. I was like, the, the cons definitely outweigh the pros. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'll kind of shift gears and go on a bit of a lighter note. I think we all sort of need that um, bit of positivity going on right now. Um, you've obviously traveled a lot in your life. When was kind of the first, um, I don't know if it was a trip or maybe a moment where you're, you had that massive interest to start traveling and what was sort of your first trip or experience? Do you know what actually inspired me to travel was my mum. My mum has these 
because obviously back when she was traveling, uh, there wasn't digital cameras and all that. So she has these massive, um, like photo books. What are they called? Photo albums of, um, (laughs) (laughs) of all her travels, um, of each country she's been to. Uh, she lived in, she lived in London, uh, the United Kingdom. She was a nurse over there. Um, she's lived in Australia. Um, she's been to, I think she told me like, yeah, she's about the same as what I am at the moment, like 25, 26 countries. Um, she was, she was in, um, Russia when it was the Soviet Union, which, yeah, was pretty crazy. Um, and she has all these photos and stories about her travels. And that is actually what inspired me to, to really want to travel the world. Um, my first trip was with my mate Tyler, uh, when we were 19, we bought, a, I think it was like a seven day holiday to the Cook Islands, to Rarotonga. And then after there, I kind of just got the, the travel vibe from that. Um, and I, after that, I, I did university for a couple of years and it found out it wasn't for me. So I, um, yeah, I then bought a one-way ticket to London and moved to the London, moved to London, um, in June, 2015 and have just been traveling ever since. And this is like my first proper time back in New Zealand since then. So I've been back since September last year. Um, and this has, yeah, been the longest time I've been back in New Zealand since, uh, 2015. And now have you noticed it being a bit different being back after traveling for so many years or what are sort of your thoughts on being back home? Um, it has been really hard, especially trying to, um, get back in contact with high friends from high school, um, you it, it's 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 a really weird situation you feel like you've like changed so much as a person you've come back to like your hometown where people are still haven't been overseas and still stuck like in New Plymouth not that that's a not like that's some people's uh paths in life and that that's totally fine but it just feels really weird and sometimes starting conversations with people has been hard or you know you're talking about like your travels but you don't want to make it sound like you're bragging um <laughs> it's 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 yeah. been really difficult yeah. um i i've like hung out with my old high school mates a couple of times but not really i actually was really fortunate enough to uh make some friends uh who are on their one year working holiday um, in New Zealand from Europe, uh, they were from Germany, Netherlands and Belgium. And throughout the summer, uh, they've unfortunately left New Plymouth now, but they kept me really busy. We were hanging out most days after work. And I just, I feel like just because of the, like the mindset that I'm in at the moment, um, I get along better with, uh, those kind of people. Um, and so, yeah, we hung out most days. Um, they know who they are, Yento, Jules, and Liz. They were, yeah, some pretty cool people. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I definitely miss them. Um, and it made me realize that, yeah, I'm definitely not ready to stop traveling just yet. Yeah, it's. I think that's a big dilemma in many travelers' 
lives is that sort of um, you you build this massive network and community, and then when you go home, you realize that like things have changed for you a lot, and you still have those you know connections and old friends, but um, it is a bit more difficult to sort of maintain those types of friendships and also still trying to keep in contact with all the people that you've met. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've had. We've been doing a pretty good job of keeping in touch. I mean, we've met now four years ago. And uh, do you do you find that you have a lot of friends um, overseas? And what sort of how how do you sort of uh, keep in contact and maintain those friendships uh, with such long distances? So I've always been a person to try and keep in contact with people as much as I can, whether it's uh, cousins overseas, like family overseas. Um, I've always tried to like message them, keep in contact, see how they're doing. Um, whenever I was passing through Auckland, like quite a, um, uh, I, when I was in Perth, I flew from uh, Perth to the United States a couple of times and transited through Auckland. And every time I have like an eight hour layover in Auckland, I'd always, um, catch up with my cousin, uh, who lived in Auckland or who lives in Auckland. And, um, I, I do the same thing with my friends, so I, I really, people that leave a, a mark on me that I think are worth, um, worth having, like, a friendship with, I always try and make an effort to stay in contact with them. It's easier said than done with people overseas because of time zones and people, um, go, like, have their own lives and everything, but, um, yeah, I've got, I've got, I keep in contact with friends all around the world. I've got friends in Australia that I keep in contact with. I've got friends in Europe, the UK, Canada, the United States. Um, I have a couple in South America, um, a couple in South Africa. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just it's always been a thing of mine to try and stay connected with people, especially ones that have like left a mark on my life. Um, and I'm I'm a people person. I love being around and being around people and hanging out with people um and yeah i i don't um regret like sort of making all these friendships with people even though i'm not probably gonna see half of them it's really nice to know that if i'll ever be um in i don't know switzerland or um or the Netherlands again, they'll be like, I'll have a place to stay there. Um, and we can go out drinking like, like we used to. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I have another question when it comes to traveling. So you've been to, you said 25 or 26, 26. can't even keep track now. Yeah. <laughs> 20, yeah 20, <laughs> 26. Not trying and, to flex um, at all. <laughs> did uh no do you have any sort of what's the word process or planning um that you sort of do when you're trying to uh figure out your next trip or travel adventure so when i was based in the mm-hmm. uk it was literally see a cheap flight on ryanair and be like right i'm going to that country um <laughs> i managed to uh get 12 pounds return from london to cologne germany um for a day trip. So <laughs> I <laughs> got to the airport at 5am in the morning, got on the flight, got to Cologne at like 7am. Uh, and then 
spent the whole day in Cologne and then had the last flight out of Cologne back to London, got back to London at like midnight. And that was, uh, that was really cool. It was more expensive getting to London Stansted than the actual flight itself, which was crazy. So <laughs> a few of the trips were, were based off that. Um, I have so many places on my bucket list that I want to go that I'm just like slowly ticking stuff off. But at the moment I'm, I've fallen in love with Oregon and it's just, it's number one, like the people there. I have some really people that I just find that are absolutely incredible. Um, in Oregon that I can't wait to go back and see. Um, I get, I'm a massive craft beer fan. So that's why, um, I'm heading back there. And obviously the outdoors like Oregon's filled with outdoor activities. I kind of find that that's like, if I wasn't like born in New Zealand, I would not mind coming from Oregon. And I've kind of just like put most other like bucket list trips on hold, um, just while I, um, I can, yeah make the most out of like these connections in Oregon. Um, but Canada, like moving to Canada has always been on my bucket list. So that's the next one skiing in Japan. Um, I've skied in Japan. Uh, that was always on my bucket list. I did that back in, um, the, when when was that? 2018. Um, and so most trips are planned. Um, but the ones in Europe, big trips, but the ones in Europe, the smaller trips were very much um, see where the cheapest flight is going to at the time um, and just go uh, super. I, I'm very spontaneous. For those that don't know me, I um, make very spur-of-the-moment decisions. Um, sometimes it goes against me <laughs> and bites me in the butt. <laughs> but um, predominantly... Uh, most of the time, uh, they have worked really well. Um, like Christmas in Norway, literally one day, uh, I was in my flat in London and was like, you know what? We should all do Christmas in Norway. And within two days, we all had our flights booked and a place just, uh, three hours North of Oslo. Um, and we spent Christmas like eight days in Norway, exploring the fjords and going skiing and seeing the Northern lights. And that was, yeah, awesome fun. Wow, that's amazing. Um, now, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, you're a pretty outdoorsy person. Do a lot of outdoor sort of sport activities. Um, where did that all begin? And, I mean, I, I know you're a climber, mountain biker, a hiker. Uh, what else am I missing? <laughs> uh, skiing, kayaking. Skiing, yep. Um, that's probably it. Didn't you do a bit of um, roller derby as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, Street hockey? yeah, I played, I played when I was in Perth, there is this beer league in Perth, um, street roller hockey league. Um, yep. I played for the Perth glory holes. Um, <laughs> and that was such a good time. Actually, that was, that was epic. It was very beer league, but it was, um, I made some really good friends, uh, through the, the Perth street roller hockey league. Um, and that was so much fun, but yeah, I, um, I also like back in high school, played cricket, football as in soccer. Um, I did cycling, um, ice hockey. Yeah. So I'm very, I love my sport. If I'm, if I'm not playing a sport, you'll, I'll probably be watching it. 
Um, and where, <laughs> where did my love for the outdoors come? It actually stems from my dad. My dad took me up. So in New Plymouth, we have this big volcano in our backyard. It's um, 2,500 meters. Uh, what's that? Like five, 6,000 feet kind of height. Um, and it is got some really cool hiking trails in it. And my dad took me up there, um, before I could even ride a bike and every school holidays, uh, would go on overnight tramp, like in New Zealand, we call it tramping instead of hiking, um, overnight tramping trips, um, to like all around the mountain, um, in the school holidays. And I think that's where my love uh, for the mountains and the outdoors came from. So I, uh, I definitely have my dad to thank for that. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, definitely makes sense why Oregon is on your, uh, favorites list. I mean, that seems to be a hub for all sorts of outdoor sports. Um, what sort of hobbies and activities did you get involved with while you were in Oregon? Because obviously this place has a near and dear place in your heart. <laughs> yeah. I think people are probably getting sick of me talking about Oregon, like at my job at the moment, <laughs> like, uh, they come up to me uh, on some days and they're like, oh, you lived in Bend? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> they're like, we didn't know you lived in Oregon. Um, uh, the hiking in Oregon has been some of the nicest hiking I have I have done uh, so far. And I've, I've hiked in quite a few countries. Um, it is, I don't know, it's, there's just something about it. Um like the scenery is incredible. Um, the lakes there, the waterfalls, like I would say Oregon is the state of waterfalls. Um, that should be their caption to be fair. <laughs> um, and then you've obviously got, uh, the Pacific crest trail. It, that's on my bucket list, uh, to do that at some point, the PCT, um, which we've touched on in previous, um, podcasts. It is, um, the Mexican border to the Canadian border, it's a, about a five month hike and it goes color through California, Oregon and Washington. And that's, uh, always been a dream of mine to do that as well. Um, mountain biking, Bend is known for its mountain biking. Um, you've got skiing. I did have a sun chaser pass of Mount Bachelor, which is this really cool ski resort just out of Bend, but unfortunately they've closed for the season. I'm not going to get there in time to do that. Um, and then, yeah, you can obviously kayak the Deschutes, stand up paddleboard the Deschutes River. And then there is this just, it's about 40 minutes out of Bend is where outdoor climbing actually first started, where your likes of Tommy Caldwell and Alex Hunold like first started their outdoor climbing. And it's called Smith Rock. And it's like, it's like the Mecca for outdoor climbers. Um, and it's, yeah, really cool and good hiking there as well. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the main reason why I go back. But like I was saying before, like it's the people as well. There are some amazing humans that, uh, live in Bend or live in the sort of like within a couple of hours of, um, of Bend and Eugene and Salem and Portland. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to get back and see those guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure 
everyone's excited to have you back. I know when we were um, at the hostel in Bend, you were definitely quite a quite the legend of the hostel. Over here. <laughs> you were the official, I feel like, uh, what's the word I want to use? Party starter, um, which is one of the best uh, aspects of you know hostel living and traveling is you know rounding up a bunch of strangers and going out for a night and end up leaving all best friends and made I've um, made so many friends through that like sorry for cutting you off but yeah I have made so many friends through that I keep in contact with so many people that have still come through the hostel some of the guests that are featuring on this podcast are guys that had a night or two at the hostel um and yeah I'm really excited for you you guys to to meet them on the podcast they're really cool yeah, and now, so going back to the, sort of the nightlife scene, um, Bend, Oregon is a pretty small town, but they are one of the biggest hubs for craft beer. Um, that's probably a big reason that you also love that town. Um, what is sort of like the craft beer scene like in Bend, Oregon? Um, so there were two places that basically started the craft beer movement in the United States, and it was Colorado and Oregon. Um, that's actually not even the United States, like the, the world, basically, these were the two, like the first two places and, um, in Bend, they have, I think it's something like 25 craft, it's Bend has a population of a hundred thousand, um, and they have 25 craft beer breweries just in Bend alone. So imagine the rest of Oregon, how many they have, um, and my love of craft beer actually started in the UK, uh, when I was, uh, trying this, um, this beer from Edinburgh called Brewdog. Um, and that was my first kind of taste of craft beer. And there was this amazing craft beer bar, uh, brew pub in downtown London, uh, called Temple Brew House. Um, and they brewed most of their own beer on there. And that was my first experience of a brew pub. And it kind of just grew from there. I hadn't heard of it before that. And then obviously WA is kind of where the, um, the craft beer scene started in Australia with little creatures. Um, and WA has quite a few breweries now. And then, um, Australia in general has a lot. And then New Zealand, the scene's taken off here as well. Um, so it's very much like everywhere I've lived recently, has like a really good craft beer scene and um, Bend by far still outranks any of the places like to have 25 craft beer breweries all within walking distance is pretty epic. And then in August every year they have Bend Brewfest where they get a hundred different um, breweries just from Oregon alone uh, come and like showcase their beers for three days at the Le Schwab Amphitheater, which is an experience and a half. My first time I was at Ben Brewfest, I ended up comering in the streets. I feel like we've got a, this is like a, a thing of mine, comering in the streets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a common theme here. Yeah, a common theme um, of comering in the streets. Uh, but yeah, uh, number one, you drink, oh, number one, it was my first time drinking at altitude. Bend is over a kilometre, um, a kilometre high in altitude. So that's what really leveled me. And then, um, most of the beers you have in Oregon are over six or seven percent. So that is absolutely a thing that I also didn't realize until I got to Bend, Oregon. And 
on top of it, when you're drinking beer that's so good, but also so high in percentage, it's just, uh, can be a bit of a, a messy combo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a very messy combo. Um, luckily, you do have good food there as well at the brew pubs. Exactly. Exactly. And now what are your, let's say, I'll go, I know you drink a lot of different types of beer, but what are your like top, what we'll top three beers so, that you would recommend people? Um, so Sun River Brewing Company, just out of Bend, um, do over the winter, um, I think they're probably going to sell out in the next couple of weeks as well from their social media. They have this um, chocolate milk stout called the Coca Cow, the best uh, chocolate milk stout I've ever had. It was absolutely incredible. Um, what else? Uh, ooh. I'm a big fan of the Murapon Pale by Deschutes Brewing. It's just a nice, solid... Um, Classic. Yeah, a nice like Deschutes. Deschutes is the the king of the craft beer in Bend. Like they they were the first craft beer brewery in Bend, and they've been brewing like Mirapon Pale for well, twenty five years now or something. So, um, yeah, that's a solid pale ale, and I forget the name of it, but it was a hazy IPA at Crux Fermentation Project. It was called Bubble Bubble Gum, I think. And it was a, you know the one I'm talking about, eh? I yeah, got it quite I think a it bit. Was bubble, yeah, it was a bubble, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and um, that was probably my favorite hazy IPA um, in Bend, and that was a yeah Crux fermentation project. I love Crux. I think Crux is my favorite brewery. The vibe there, they have this massive outdoor setting with like food carts and a massive fire, um, and like you overlooks all the mountaintops um and the sun sets behind them and it's uh, they have like live music and all that and yeah i think crux fermentation project is my favorite brewery awesome yeah crux um is yeah probably one of mine too i think that was one i'd always rec recommend anyone who goes to bend crux is definitely a good spot it just has everything evening. and and it's a and it is a fermentation project there are beers that you wouldn't even imagine that crux throw out there that you're like, what? Like, what is that? And they have like <laughs> yeah. 20 or 30 beers as well. And quite a few of them are rotational and yeah, it's really good. And now, so this is a question too, that, um, I've kind of wondered in my, with my own travels, um, have you found sort of like a difference, um, with long-term versus short-term sort of travel? Um, it, you've lived in the UK, you've lived in Australia, you've lived kind of, I mean, you didn't live in the US per se, but you were there for, you know, quite a few months, which, yeah. you know, people would say living there. Um, and then you're planning on going to Canada. Do you think that's something that you're kind of more drawn to? Um, or what are sort of the perks of that sort of experience of long-term travel? Well, you're proper, you can properly immerse yourself into the country and the culture, um, I think that is probably the biggest uh, aspect of the whole long-term travel. Like you don't have to, like if you're on a Contiki, you go, you go one day in each city in like 15 different countries and you don't really get that full experience that you do while, 
like staying in a place for not even necessarily as long as I'm doing it, but even just a couple of weeks, like you're like in a country, like you're able to get a lot more of the culture and the vibe. And like, instead of just do one city, you, you can do like all the, all the main, not even cities, but like tourist attractions, like, um, like let's say for Italy, like you, uh, may only have like one day in Rome, uh, and a day in Milan. You're obviously not going to even be able to get down to Naples or go up to, um, like Pisa and Florence, um, or even down to Venice. There's just not enough time. Um, and, uh, at least if you have like a couple of weeks in Italy, you'll be able to tick off all those at the same time. And that's why I'm super excited about Canada. I'm going to start off in BC and slowly work my way east. Um, so like BC, then Alberta, like Banff or Jasper or something like that. And then go from there to uh, Calgary, then on to, um, uh, on to Toronto. Uh, don't know about going all the way out to Nova Scotia um, <laughs> or New Brunswick, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Canada, I think is going to be amazing, especially with you know being an outdoorsy type person. I mean, that's kind of big mecca for that sort of yeah. Um, those sort of activities. What sort of plans did you have? Or well, are you going to do once everything clears up when you get over to Canada? Uh, yeah, not really any plans just yet. I'm still tossing up between Vancouver Island or Vancouver to start with. I'm not really keen on living in Whistler. Um, it's very, very, very touristy. There's not many Canadians. Like my goal is like what I did in the UK to make more, um, uh, more friends with locals. You even talked about this in your podcast, like when you're in Cambodia um, you really enjoyed like meeting the locals. I'm that, uh, that's my hope. Like obviously Vancouver is a very touristy city as well. I'm bound to bump into Australians and Kiwis and like Europeans and all that. But I think if I was to live in Whistler, um, yeah, that is all I'm going to see. I'm going to not really meet very many Canadians at all. So I think, I'm tossing up between, it really depends when I get over there as well. I think I want to probably do, if I'm going to be there, um, do Vancouver first, stay in Vancouver for the winter, which means I can hit like the North Shore Mountains and ski and I can also go up to Whistler fairly easy. Or if I want to do like a bit of a trip, go into like Big White and the Kelowna and the Okanagan um, and then go out to the island and do a couple of months on the on the coast at Tofino, which is this beautiful little place. And then, yeah, I haven't really planned anything else from there. It really is like, I don't have any plans. It's going to be super spontaneous. It's going to be, if I make like, I have a couple of friends in Vancouver, which like is a good place to like, just get my feed as well to start with. Um, and it also depends on how well I like vibe with people so if I'm in Tofino I'm not really enjoying the vibe and not really making many friends and I'll leave earlier than anticipated and uh, yeah it's that is the cool thing about being on like a working holiday and still like you're not tied down people know that you're only there for 23 months and um 
you can you can pack up and go somewhere so long as you obviously have the money but you can pack up and move somewhere else just like that yeah absolutely yeah and that's sort of i mean that's always been my style of traveling too is just very spontaneous kind of wherever the wind takes you and i think that's always i think that's where you find sort of the best um experiences the ones that you don't plan for yeah absolutely completely agree and now um so having um a bit more long-term travel in your in your past um i'm sure you've done a lot of sort of random jobs here and there um as i've experienced i'm sure many other people when you kind of get to a new place sometimes you kind of take whatever you find yeah. even if it's something you never imagined yourself doing um what sort of jobs have you had over the past few years in different uh, countries Okay, so in the UK, I there was three main types of jobs. It was retail, hospitality, and TTA, so teacher assisting work. Um, in London, um, or even in the UK, I don't even think this is a London thing, but in, um, in London, they are very short of teacher assistants, um, which is basically you are there to help the teacher. So you're in a class, you're, um, it really depends on uh, what school you're at and, and what sort of class uh, you're with as well. So there's a few different options, like you might just help out the class and go around everybody and like make sure they're doing their phonic, like, like their phonics properly and that kind of thing. Um, but then there's some other schools. So I predominantly worked at... Um, in either in classrooms that were kids with learning difficulties or um or disabilities such as autism or down syndrome um and i also worked at a like a school predominantly well schools like especially just for those kind of kids and um that was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences i've ever um i've ever been in um it was an incredible feeling after uh, like weeks of hard work working with um, these kids and they're not getting they're not getting it um, and then all of a sudden it just clicks um, and you're like wow like like here's like society like saying oh like writing them off and yet you see all these incredible things that these kids can do uh, when everyone's like oh that kid's got disabilities probably like not going to be able to do this and that and then when they prove um, prove that stigma wrong is like it's such a good feeling. Um, a good one was like swimming. We took the kids swimming um, uh, to swimming lessons, and yeah, it was um, it was pretty amazing. I worked with. I think the most daunting part of that was uh, that whole experience was I worked with um, uh, nonverbal. So kids on the spectrum um, that were nonverbal. So nonverbal means they, they couldn't communicate. Um, and when the kids got frustrated because you weren't understanding what they were trying to put, like, put across, they'd lash out. I used to go home with scratches and bite marks on my arms. And it was, it was pretty crazy, um, but it was, it was so rewarding. I, I, yeah, I don't regret doing it at all. Probably also getting me really like really set for fatherhood as well. Um, the kids couldn't like quite a few of these kids uh, couldn't go to the toilet themselves, so you were having to like either change their nappies or like try and teach them how to go to the toilet. And uh, so yeah, 
it was it was a very enlightening and amazing experience and i i loved my time there um very i can't even begin to explain how tired i was by the end of the day that i'd get home i'd like have dinner and go to bed absolutely shattered (laughs) um oh yeah yeah so that was in london i also worked at a ski snowboard shop in covent garden which is in downtown london um and then i predominantly worked at bars uh i worked on the royal mile um at the royal mile tavern in edinburgh and I worked at a Weatherspoons in Brighton. The Weatherspoons is the biggest, um, uh, the biggest pub chain in the United Kingdom. They have like f- forty four thousand employees and like five thousand pubs or something. It was yeah crazy. And I actually did a bit of hostel work. I in Brighton. I uh, I worked and lived at a hostel, so that was really cool. Um, and then in Australia again, hospitality. Um, I was a travel agent for a little bit over there, um, and yeah. So that's like, it was it was predominantly hospitality and retail in most of the jobs I've worked at. Um, yeah, I feel I'm lacking in the qualification skills at the moment. <laughs> no, not at all. I I I feel we're at, but at the same time, we have a whole different skill set. I think that um is definitely valuable. Oh, so. cheers. <laughs> I, I, I freak out, I freak out all the time though. Like I, it is constantly going through my head. Like, should I knuckle down and try and get like some sort of career now? Or should I do a bit more traveling? And it, yeah. Um, and I'm worried that like, after I've done all these travel, like all these travels, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not really at, like, I'm a unit, like I dropped out of university. I don't have any qualifications. Like what am I meant to do? And that really freaks me out. Um, Hence why I had the mental breakdown last night. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, from being in a very similar position, I get it. And I think we're going to figure it out. I think, I think uh, everyone has their time and just got to keep exploring, I think. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I think that's kind of all the questions I have for you, Andy. Um, Thanks for letting me have this opportunity to uh, do this interview. I'm sure everyone enjoyed getting to know a bit more about our host of the podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I hope uh, people did enjoy that. Um, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I, I normally have, well, I normally have things to say, but I don't actually have anything to say at the moment. Well, I'll wrap it up with Andy is an amazing friend, great person. I'm so glad I had the privilege to meet him. And you should definitely follow along with this podcast because it's really interesting. I've actually learned quite a bit about people that I know in real life, but I've learned about them on this podcast. So definitely keep uh, listening on. And if you want to get to know more about me, I have an episode now too. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that is the, the last, ep- yeah, that is the last episode. Um, so check it out. It's Michelle Pogazowski. So yeah. Thanks very much, Michelle. Thank you.